0: ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. Yeah, you're tuned to here. It's 9.46 here on uh, the day before the day before Christmas, uh, Monday the 23rd. Thanks for joining us wherever you're listening. If you're in the Shire, Rainbow region of New South Wales or the north coast generally of New South Wales or a little bit further up into southeast Queensland, you might be listening to us or you certainly could be anywhere out there in the world and listening to us on bayfm.org either directly live or possibly after the uh, after the broadcast and more importantly or just as importantly you can tune into our edited podcasts within a couple of days of each broadcast um, through futuresense.it is the portal the easy portal but if you have already for example the iTunes app then you can access futuresense right there and then
1: you might also be on another planet 30,000 years in our future and catching these radio waves. So and going these guys well. knew
0: what was going on back then. They actually had some of the real stuff. Thank goodness for that somebody knew what was going on. Let's hope so. Um right. We want to talk a little bit <laughs> we want to talk a little bit about utopias today. Um, the uh, the word utopia was coined as many of you would know by Thomas More. That's M O R E. There's a couple there's a few Thomas Mores who are famous, but this this guy goes back to the 15th and 16th century, born in 1478, died in 1535. And it was the name of the island described in his, uh, in his book, which was originally written in Latin, uh, but he based his new word that he created uh, on Greek. Uh, He combined topos, place or where, with you or "oo" or no, which sort of means nowhere. So in a way, it's a nowhere place, a place that uh, doesn't exist, and I think that's exactly how we might configure it now. The concept of utopia has existed in many different religions, even so, in societies since ancient times. The term itself was originated by Thomas More in that early 16th century book of the same name. He suggests that utopia or good place or nowhere place is a better descriptor uh, than, um, yeah, than the previous descriptions of this idea. And from so from Thomas More's original coinage, the word utopia has been conflated uh, with utopia as the Greek e-utopia to mean a non-existent good place. So there's a confusion there straight away.
1: You're going to have to dig out that Talking Heads song, you know that, don't
0: you? <laughs> oh, which one? The um... Road to Nowhere.
1: Ah, oh, good, yeah. It's Perfect. interesting. I mean, this topic is is quite uh, relevant to the present day yes. as well, because as we move into a communal value system, and I'm talking here about this consciousness shift that's underway beyond the scientific, industrial, mm-hmm. individually oriented way of being human into a new communal value system, it all it's it, it's all about conforming. So when we come together in these communal value systems, we have to agree new ways of being and new ways of getting on with each other. And, and often part of that process is reaching back to older ways of communal living and remembering mm. how to do that. Yeah. And um, inevitably, in the transition period, we look at the way things have been and we decide that that was pretty bad and it didn't work so well and things yeah. ought to be a different way. Mm. And this often usually actually gives rise to fundamentalist and utopian ideas and certainly we've been seeing a lot of that lately and you could say that uh, things like for example the rise of islamic state was a utopian idea yes Yes, indeed it certainly seems to have been a road to nowhere for for a lot of people Uh, but also unbound capitalism and the idea that everybody in the world ought to be in a capitalist society and if you haven't got some we'll give it to you you know, it's it's no different, really. It's just a different perspective, um, and and both of those ideas have there have been attempts to force them on other societies using war, uh, and uh, and of course they bumped heads big time.
0: Yeah, uh, I thought uh, when you were speaking of George Orwell's book Animal Farm, which is uh, fairly well known as well uh, as his other great uh, prophetic books, you could say, written in 1945 at the very end of the Second World War, of course it. It talks about a sort of utopian society uh, as a, an allegory with uh, animals where all animals are created equal except some are more equal than others.
1: That's right. And I think probably for a lot of people who've heard the word, word utopia bandied around, they, they might not appreciate the, the origins of it in Thomas More's book. And, and in fact, it was associated with totalitarianism.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, there's many different configurations of it. And, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people... Um, down through the ages, configuring new political social constructions that used the ideas of, of, of uh, utopia, including Marx and Engels. Karl Marx and uh, Engels were dismissive of a kind of 19th century bourgeois utopian socialism, contrasting it with their own scientific socialism. So this is interesting, the notion that Marx and Engels actually configured that they actually were doing science with their their version of what they end up being, uh, what we now know as socialism or Marxism. I thought that was a, a shop in England, Marx and Engels, but I'm confused. No, please go on. I think it's Marx and Spencer. Oh, all right, yes, and Spencer. I haven't shopped there though. You might have shopped there. <laughs> I love Arthur C. Clarke. There's an article here, I'm um, quoting pieces of uh, Arthur C. Clarke uh, had, one, had one quote on, um, on utopias uh, from 2001 A Space Odyssey, the book, and he said that the newspapers of utopia would be terribly dull. (laughs) And I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Because there is this configuration, especially, I guess, now coming back to Claire W. Graves' work in this era... Where the green layer, layer six in uh, in Graves configuration, is emerging on the planet in many places. A very fine example in this region here, and these new this notion of utopia sort of is being configured into that expression too, to some degree, isn't it?
1: It is absolutely, and uh, and there is this shadow aspect to the layer six value system, which which harps back to uh, the egocentric mm-hmm. layer three. And, and each of the value systems in the first tier, the, the first six value systems, have this shadow relationship to uh, the, the value system three layers down, mm. and, uh, which, which is always on the opposite side of the spiral. So if it's a communal value system like layer six, its shadow aspect is an individual uh, influential value system. Layer three, which is egocentric, yeah. and so you see this—you do see this uh, self-centered aspect playing out in layer six. And perhaps one of the most uh, amazing examples of that is the selfie, yeah. <laughs> where where we seem to be obsessed with taking photos of ourselves.
0: <laughs> um, this this idea of uh, contradiction and hypocrisy uh, within the configurations of utopia is quite is quite common. I'm quoting here from an article from the uh, the New Yorker from 2016. Uh, this this um, shadow of the promise of a better world and the sordid realities of human nature that actually underpin things anyway, and it's a, it's a bit of a negative sort of take. But what just what you're saying there that while there might be a claim for some sort of uh, utopian vision of how we should all be in a, um, perhaps a neo-socialist reality, the truth is that there's uh, way too many contradictions and hypocrisies about that because yeah. human nature is human nature. And in fact, yeah. Thomas More himself, interestingly, you may not know this. He envisaged this paradise where men and women could choose their religion without fear of violence or coercion. But in practice, Thomas More was the Lord Chancellor of England at the time, and he oversaw the burning of at least six Protestants and the jailing of some 40. And one merchant merchant was tortured, in fact, in More's own home during the time that he wrote Utopia and tied so tightly to a tree that blood reportedly flowed from his eyes, and More referred, referred to this as the tree of truth, and that sort of coercion into the ideas of utopia is a pretty common thing, right there and then.
1: Yeah, yeah it's very interesting. Human nature, hey, my
0: Human goodness, mm. goes on and on. I mean, even the Third Reich—you could argue at the time of Hitler—could be said to be a, a kind of utopian vision of, uh, you know, Aryan purity. That's and right. That sort yeah, of stuff.
1: yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. It, it is very interesting, uh, and it's certainly. It certainly shows up in these communal value systems, and I and I think probably is uh, certainly becomes visible during the transition period where there's a strong rejection of the old value system, the old paradigm, and in, in our case, the scientific industrial paradigm yeah. is being strongly criticised and and labelled as wrong, and uh, where in in th- in the process of kind of rejecting that and throwing it out, we're defining how things ought to be, which is the the opposite. You know, for the way things have been, and in the process, inevitably throwing the baby out with the bathwater as well.
0: Oh, it's a, it's a very strong configuration, isn't it? To fall to this place of oh, we know what's right now. We know the way we're supposed to go on the planet, and it's the first time that we live in this era now where we genuinely think, in a planetary way, in a global manner, you know, because of the obvious reasons: our technology, our extremely fast communications and interactions, and everything but it's also enabled uh, a kind of righteousness from all sides of politics to arise even more so. How would you configure that with Graves' work? Well? Again, it's, it's some kind of um, uh, obvious uh, showing of what transformation is actually happening on the planet, isn't it? There's this-
1: it's a clear sign for sure, yeah, and we need to remember that in each of the first six value systems in the first tier, as, uh, as it's called... Each has its own compulsive behavior, and so we're moving from one set of compulsions to a completely different set of compulsions. And we also have this regressive value search process going on, so in this case we're harping back to mostly previous communal systems, which is useful in that it helps us to remember how to live in community and the kind of things that need to change to allow that to happen in harmony. Uh, and also, by going back and trying out these old value systems, they inevitably uh, fail to solve our cul- current problems, yeah. even more so than, than the most immediate previous value system mm. uh, is failing. And so in that way, it speeds up the evolutionary process. It speeds up the change process. And uh, I always talk about the, the elastic band on the slingshot. And you've got to pull it backwards and create that tension in order to actually get it to go forwards. Uh, to any great effect, yeah. and so the same thing's playing out here, and we're, we're seeing a strong rejection of the old values, really, really strong opinions on what needs to change and what we need to get rid of, uh, and uh, in the process, there's a lot of fear being generated, yeah. and a lot of irrational uh, ideas and behavior, because it's they're, they're coming from this inherent rejection and inherent fear of uh, things not changing and fear of uh, the implications of the problems that have been created by the old value system mm. and, and how they might play out. Uh, so it really is a bit of a crazy time and quite chaotic, and uh, it, it's a good time to, to kind of sit back uh, as best you be, as you can and just be curious about what's going on and what we might be doing.
0: You have a certain uh, a little habit I might betray to the listener on the, our um one of our platforms that we use to talk amongst our team about various issues and you have a little icon of uh, popcorn uh, which you like to <laughs> place fun. there quite often with regards to exactly what you're saying and we should be just just sit back with the popcorn and observe
1: It's a good time to be investing in popcorn I think actually
0: <laughs> uh, It's interesting too because the, the word utopia um, is, is a loaded word naturally like so many words now and in, in some ways it, it carries a lot of baggage it, it has been uh, quite a uh, quite a negative terminology in recent times. In fact, it, I think the word dystopia, which is a word coined by John Stuart Mill uh, three and a half centuries ago after the publication of, of Moore's book, in fact, in response to that, described a society that was too bad to be practicable, which uh, you could argue is kind of where we are now. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and yet, at the same time, uh, in recent years, there's a, from this same article from the New Yorker, uh, literary Marxist Frederick Jamieson observes that in the last year's utopia has again changed its meaning and has become the rallying, rallying cry for left and progressive forces, which I was sort of referring to before. So, oh yes, we can, there is a way, there's a utopian way, and this is the way to get there, and we just have to get rid of all this other stuff, and then we cut away all that and we can move forward into this clearly this is the way it has to go
1: it's interesting language isn't it I mm. mean looking back a decade or two utopian was a, a criticism it was used as a yes, criticism exactly. wasn't it you know you could say oh That's it's right. too utopian you know don't don't be utopian mm. Yeah, mm. precisely Simply, Precisely, it, because it was seen as being unrealistic a description of unrealistic things
0: yes one of the other researchers is quoted here as saying in fact on the other side that there's in this era according to his, his name is Jennings um there's, there's a deficit of imagination in our era, and argues that uncoupled from utopian ends, even the most incisive social critique falls short. In other words, we need a utopian vision to get somewhere. Mm. Uh, Things will only get worse if we don't engage in some serious utopian thinking. Yeah, what about that? Well
1: you know I think there's some, some, some truth, truth in that, that. absolutely yeah. it uh, what it comes down to is that sort of transition beyond the utopian vision to practical uh, application yeah. you know, is, is where it often falls down yeah. and uh, and it is true also that the emerging value system, which is really still forming to a large extent this uh, relativistic system as as Graves called it. Yeah which some people have also called postmodern although the the, the Term postmodern was really coined uh, in the earliest stages of emergence of this value system, and so it reflected a very immature, early stage version of, of relativism. Yes,
0: and it's a very academic thinking. terminology. Also, it kind of is restricted and doesn't, I don't think, had for a long time much sort of weight within within society itself. Actually, it was a it was a concept, it was an intellectual concept that was academic in, in its configuration.
1: It's it's true. Yeah, one of the characteristics of the relativistic value system, though, is that it collapses hierarchy. Hierarchies. And that is uh, is really a reaction to the uh, dominant hierarchies that have emerged during the mm. scientific industrial era, which are seen to be damaging uh, and and not useful anymore. Which, which to a large extent is quite true, because this is the way that value systems play themselves out. They're immediately useful when when they're first em- uh, emerging and and becoming effective, because they solve. Uh, the complex problems that have emerged from the previous value system and then they go through a kind of a bell curve which where they'll reach a peak and then start to die off and during that um, process of dying off they, they often start to create new problems which are more complex which can only be solved by the emergence of a successive value system and so, uh, in the process of the emergence of the relativistic values, we're seeing a tendency to want to collapse hierarchies because they're seen as being bad, uh, and and generally the idea of hierarchy is thought of only in terms of dominant hierarchies, not in terms of nurturing hierarchies. Oh uh, yes, right, which are
0: like the feminine okay. version. That's great. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. So take that in, folks. Think about that for yeah. a second.
1: Yeah, and and this is something that's often missed: is people think hierarchy, they think dominant, but not all hierarchies are dominant. Some. Hierarchies and nurturing, like a, a mother-child mm. hierarchy, is a nurturing hierarchy, for example. And nature is full of nurturing. Nature's hierarchy. full of nature, n- nurturing hierarchy, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but in the process of collapsing hierarchies altogether, it, it does literally throw the baby out with the bathwater because we lose the any uh, hierarchical cause and effect relationship, and so it, it makes problem solving difficult in many, many cases. And right at the moment, it's resulting in the collapse of. Um, much of the scientific method within uh, the Mm. particular discipline. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so we are losing and confusing those cause and effect relationships, uh, which inevitably will within a decade or two, uh, I predict, create considerable chaos that will only be resolved by
0: the emergence of
1: second tier consciousness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's fascinating. Um just an, another quote from mr jennings chris jennings actually is the author author in this new yorker uh, art, uh, article of a book called paradise now the story of american utopianism a historical account of five utopian projects uh, and that's an interesting story in itself. If you want to check that out, the New Yorker will post this article uh, because there is quite a tradition in America of uh, utopianism going back, particularly in the 19th century, but also moving through into this century uh, quite, a, quite a lot. Yeah. Well, I think the birth of America was, you know, well, yes, in, in a uh, sense this idea of creating a free utopian kind of society. Um, manifest destiny yeah, is what they called it. And still, I think that term is is taught I think in schools this notion that America actually has this destiny to be this this utopian uh, democratic new world society which for a long time you could argue was uh, but somewhere along the line things have fallen apart as they do yeah mm. yeah uh, Jennings uh, I was just going to quote this last part part with regards to whether you know how we engage with this he has uh, he says that Society seems like something that needs to be invented rather than merely endured. And I like that. Like We actually have capacity to make change. We have capacity to make choice. We have capacity to actually solve the problems. And I think there's a, there's part of us now that has given up. I think I'm generalising hugely here, but a lot of people, particularly with regards to, for example, the climate issues, uh, uh, are becoming so negative and dark that and dystopian about things that there really isn't the, uh, the, the kind of uh, quashing that potential in every human being to actually create the future in one way or the other.
1: It's a very challenging time that we're in because we are in this transition period between value systems and what needs to happen for a new value system to emerge is we need to let go of our old values. And that's like letting go of your anchor points you know, it's yeah. a- and allowing yourself to drift with, with really no control, yeah. uh, you know, at the, at the whim of the sort of winds and, and the tides. Yeah. And that is a very scary yes. place to be, uh, but it's it's a necessary place for this transition process mm. to take place. Uh, and, and I think that's why, you know, so, so many people are, are feeling confused mm. and afraid about uh, an unknown future, uh, and, and really uh, becoming more desperate actually, for something to hang on to. And, yes. and so they're grabbing hold of whatever you know, crops up to yeah. see if it'll work. Yeah. And th- there's also inevitably a process and a, and a period of experimentation with new values and new ideas. And what if we try this? What if we try that? And part of that process is this uh, regressive search back to old values to see if we, if we dig those out, maybe they'll work. Uh, you know, If we just give them one more try, yeah. like Make America Great Again, for example, is a, is a good example of that.
0: Hmm. Yes, very interesting. And um, have a look at yourselves, folks out there. Where are you in regards to this? Because we're certainly not saying that this is wrong. I think what I'm hearing as you speak there, Steve, is this confusion, this uncertainty, this insecurity that is prevalent in everybody to some degree, arguably. Perhaps you disagree, but I think it's true. Um, Is actually um, a... A signpost of our increasing capacity, essentially.
1: Look, it's actually a signpost of progress, believe it or not. I mean, and the only way to really make sense of this is to step back and look at the patterns of change. And this is where a second-tier perspective becomes extremely critical, actually, and, and certainly will become more critical in the decades ahead is we have to be able to, to, to step back and see the process that we're in. Yeah. You know, we've got to make that sort of subject-object transition so, so our subjective experience actually becomes the object of our observation yeah. and, and understanding. Uh, And then once we can see that, okay, when we go through these paradigm shifts between value systems, we always go through this kind of no man's land where we've let go of the old values. We don't quite know what the new ones are. They're they're still forming. And that's a period of great discomfort and and often chaos traditionally. But if we could actually see that pattern and realize, okay, we're there, you know, and we're in between this and that, it becomes... Psychologically, much more easy, I think, if if we just can just know that we're in transition between, you know, this place and that place, and we've got to cross this barren area where there are no real anchor points for us to have.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it's um, it's actually really great to see what you said before. There, I'm just trying to remember. You said um, about subjective experience that one's subjective experience becomes the object of inquiry, of observation, in order to actually see what real relationship uh, that's not flavoured by, covered by or mitigated by you know, societal and everything else, cultural imprints upon us. But actually, what is our really true subjective experience in the moment?
1: And, you know, some people talk about these major transitions as a kind of death. Mm. And interestingly, people report having this experience when they go through a near-death experience, where they'll be immersed in the experience of dying, and then all of a sudden they'll find themselves above looking down on what's going on. Uh, and in that process, there's a there's a kind of uh, peace that emerges. And we don't need to literally die to be able to do this. Mm. Uh, we just need to learn that transcendent process, um, you know, through self-development so we can actually step back and just be aware of the dynamics that we're subjected to rather than being uh, sort of carried away and immersed and, and drowning, so to speak, in them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And certainly, there's a lot of that going on in the world at the moment, uh, mm-hmm. and absolutely here in Australia, where you know we're subject to incredible forces of nature and the change that they bring.
0: And we'll come back to some of that, I think, in the uh, the next part of the show. Take a break shortly. I just finish on the, on Utopia. This part uh, from the New Yorker article. I'll just quote this last little piece here, because I think it's interesting that this new uh, configuration of Utopia is arising for for the reasons we're talking about. Modern day utopians are not blind to the lessons of history. Many of them see the limits posed by human nature and recognize that utopia has always veered between evil and futility. Yet, at least implicitly, they seem to view the price of utopia, the disruptions of sweeping change, the inevitable turmoil of total overhaul, worth paying." And the finishes saying a quote from Mao, from Chairman Mao, who said, "'A revolution is not a dinner party.'" <laughs> And I think that's it, you know, like we are faced with such, uh, to, whether utopia or not, to get to to get to get some other place that we're seeking now to solve the problems that we have on this planet now is such a, a huge revolution. It's such a sweeping change. It is incredibly disruptive. There is incredible turmoil and overhaul. These things are not gonna change. And in, in some senses, I see we have to accept that it isn't a dinner party. A revolution is happening one way or the other, and it's not gonna be easy. I think a key
1: part of the reason that it looks so difficult at the moment is because people are trying to figure out ways of solving yeah. our very very complex problems using old thinking. Yes, and you know that famous Einstein quote where you don't solve a problem at the same level of thinking that created it, but we're we're attempting to do that at the moment, and that's why we're having such a hard time as a species.
0: Mm, indeed, uh, thanks for your text. Another text coming. It's helpful to be proactive, not reactive, for one soul. And our fellow man and woman. Yeah, well, absolutely. Very true. true. Thank you. Indeed. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. You're tuned to Future Sense here with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans, through till 11 o'clock this morning. Thanks again for your texts on 043734119. Rod has written in, hi guys, infinite change is the only constant. Yeah. Constant is the only change in the universe. Uh, Change is the only constant in the universe, one of those.
1: Everything's changed. Thank you. It's true. Uh, For those of you who might be listening to the podcast later, we record this as a radio show in beautiful Byron Bay here in Australia. And uh, Nick and I always get together about 7 a.m. Our radio show goes on here at 9 a.m. And we have a coffee and breakfast and talk about what we're going to talk about. And this morning when we were doing that, an email dropped in my inbox from a friend of mine called uh, Gary Sikolik, who's uh, associated with the Arlington Institute in West Virginia. G'day, Gary, if you're listening. And thanks for the emails that you send me all the time. They're um, they're wonderful. And the uh, the heading on this email was
0: the hypersane are among us. The so like hypersane. Okay. That's no, yeah. another good concept. I like it. So Gary's
1: email led me to this article at uh, Co called the hypersane are among us. If only we're prepared to look. And it's a short post about a new book by a psychiatrist and philosopher called neil burton n double e l burton Mm. Uh, and neil is a fellow of green templeton college uh, at the university of oxford and he's published a book this year called hypersanity thinking beyond thinking and and, um, that really sort of captured my interest Mm. because uh, one of the characteristics of this transition from first tier to second tier consciousness is moving beyond the domination of the rational mind and and moving beyond rational thinking as our most capable form of problem solving. Yeah, And so uh, I I might just read a little bit from this post. Um, And uh, it says here, this is Neil Burton, the author, writing, hypersanity is not a common or accepted term, but neither did I make it up. I first came across the concept while training in psychiatry.
0: Uh, In a book by R. D. Lang. Yes, R. D. Lang. I've read. uh, I've actually read that book, uh, "Politics Politics of Experience," a long time ago.
1: "Politics of Experience," The Bird Bird of of Paradise, Paradise, nineteen
0: sixty-seven. Yeah, yeah. Scottish psychiatrist he was. Yeah,
1: that's right. And uh, he presented madness as a voyage of discovery that could open out onto a free state Mm. of higher consciousness or hypersanity And uh, you know, wasn't that an appropriate kind of idea for uh, modern life, where we seem to be living in an insane world?
0: And certainly, I guess in nineteen sixty-seven, in the first psychedelic revolution, that that book was written. So that uh, very reflective in a way of uh, of that era too. Just that that yeah. uh, that madness actually could could lead to a reckoning, uh, to an awakening, to a breakthrough rather than a breakdown.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and certainly, I think that's been uh, the experience of many people. And whenever we go through these paradigm shifts or value shifts from one layer to the next often we go through a kind of dark night of the soul and uh, associated with what we've been talking about uh, you know everything falling apart the the realisation that our values no longer solve uh, or, or serve to solve our problems and uh, we find ourselves in this kind of lost no man's land kind of uh, state um, and um, the Langian concept of hypersanity uh, has ancient roots uh, Neil goes on to write in this post here and once upon being asked to name the most beautiful of all things Diogenes the Cynic yeah. who uh, was around from about 412 BCE he replied "parhesia," which in ancient Greek means something like uninhibited thought free speech or full expression yeah. Yeah. and and the idea that Artie Lang's putting forward here is is uh, the need to move beyond uh, logical, rational thought to something different, some other way of knowing.
0: Yeah, well, Lang also talks in the same book about um, the condition of alienation, which uh, has really no solution other than exactly this sort of hypersanity, this other kind of approach. He says the condition of alienation, of being asleep, of being unconscious, of being out of one's mind is the condition of the normal man. Society highly values its normal man. It educates children to lose themselves and to become absurd and thus to be normal. Normal men have killed perhaps 100 million of their fellow normal men in the last 50 years. And that brings it right back down to...
1: <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And this kind of crazy realisation is typical of uh, what we encounter in a value shift, is, is this sudden shift of values where the things that we thought were important are no longer important, it seems. And we look back on them and uh, often in horror.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so some wonderful quotes actually from this book. It's funny because I, I did read it way back then and uh, the, that idea that we are, are now really needing a, a different kind of uh, sanity, a sanity. It's a very interesting terminology actually uh, because it, it infers um, beyond either or. It infers beyond right and wrong. It infers a paradoxical approach to intelligence, to be able to take in a number of different elements that come from completely different paradigms that all may have some sort of value in a total picture of any given problem these kind of notions, yeah?
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. It's, a, I mean, it sounds a lot like the trans zone, which is described in Claire Graves' research, uh, which is the zone beyond the domination of the rational mind, where we move into a kind of deep intuition or a direct knowing, which I sometimes call a quantum consciousness, because it's as if we, you know, just like a, a quantum... Uh, the quantum behaviour of a particle where it can kind of disappear and reappear and it's like we can reach into that quantum realm and drag something straight out and, and immediately know without having to go through a process of
0: logic. Yes. Yes, I mean in this article he also talks about some of the uh, the, the modern uh, examples of the hypersane and I, I think I, I like, the Dalai Lama really stood out straight away to me because the Dalai Lama certainly has a, a kind of intelligence clearly that just... <laughs> Jumps, uh, jumps across, you know, the, the abyss here and there, everywhere, and simply doesn't respond in the in the sort of normal, sane way that most people would would, uh, would respond.
1: I'm sure that Dalai Lama would be delighted to hear your uh, your
0: praise of his uh, kind of intelligence. <laughs> there. He'd have a good <laughs> chuckle and go, oh, it's, "It's all you. You're exactly the same." Oh, oh me, yeah, good, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. It seems to be really appropriate for the for the present day. Uh, one of the another line from this post by Neil here: we could all go mad in a way we already are, minus the promise. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that's interesting, isn't it, the promise, uh, and what is the promise about? Is that the promise of finding some resolution, some utopia from our thinking, or just, yeah, is that what he's referring to, maybe? I don't know. Well, well, to-
1: I guess, you know, he's, he's talking about this dark night of the soul yeah. process, I think, alluding to that and sort of uh, Jungian idea that we go into the crazy place and then come out the other side more sane than we were when we went in, mm-hmm. uh, which is certainly, you know, the experience of many, many people.
0: And, you know, it's been said quite often that madness and brilliance, madness and genius are two sides of the same coin. I think this is exactly what's going on here. And I always think when I'm talking about these kind of topics of the word education, mentioned children before that Lang talked about and how we teach our children to be normal in that sense. And education, of course, actually comes from the Latin educare, which means to draw out, means to bring out the unique and special qualities and abilities of that one child, not to thrust forth and and inculcate uh, our children with uh, the versions of society and culture that we dominate and that we like to see um, reiterated so that notion of drawing out is something that's very challenging i think for the education system and it is a turn that's going to happen now there's so many children now that i know of uh, children of of friends of mine particularly um, younger than and also teenage children who are simply not coping with the way that society actually configures education for them anymore. It just doesn't work in the same way anymore for so many kids. And that's a really telling response that's going on in the world, I think, at the moment. It is,
1: absolutely. I love this word, hypersanity, and I'm going to use that. And uh, I was so <laughs> impressed that I've, I've actually gone online and bought the book this morning. So oh, my I'll, goodness. I'll report back later after yeah. I read it.
0: <laughs> that's great. A couple of other texts quickly come in. Uh, a more, I'm not sure exactly what you mean here, but I like it. A more up-full Upful a man is in his heart. The more upful a man is in his heart, the more ancient he appears on the outside. Take a moment for that one. And uh, someone else says, Einstein said, Children are born intelligent, then we educate them. Yes, it's funny because I had another Einstein quote up here. We're talking about uh, hypersanity. Uh, Einstein said, If at first an idea is not absurd, then there is no hope for it.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, Very much in line with this uh, final quote from Mm. uh, this post on hypersanity, uh, which I will leave us with. Um, Both psychosis and hypersanity place us outside society, making us seem mad to the mainstream. Mm. How true is that? Mm.
0: And, of course, you know, uh, there's another great quote, that uh, quote where ideas are originally comp- considered completely crazy and then they're slowly adopted and then they become the, the, the more of the day. And I think that's, you know, we're, we're at a stage in, in human evolution, clearly, where we need a whole bunch of absolutely brand new ideas yeah. to flood through our system and to create new systems, exactly that. Very true. Mm. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, Broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia, at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.